AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everybody. Welcome to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams on the day, and we've got a lot of things going on. We're going to hear from Angie Setzer a little bit later in the program. Break down yesterday's World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates from USDA. Then we're going to talk a little bit about what might be coming on the conservation front. There's a new group out there working to increase federal spending on conservation that uh, farmers might be doing on their operation. We'll have that conversation in the third segment. And finally, we're going to wrap up today's talk with a conversation with a grower in Ohio. Dave Green in New Washington is going to share his harvest update. But first... We're going to talk about pricing. Early this morning, the Labor Department released their CPI data, Consumer Price Index data. The headline number, which includes everything, housing and energy, was up four-tenths of a percent. That was higher than a lot of economists had predicted, and half of that growth, fully two-tenths of it, was due to food and energy prices. We continue to see movements to the upside in the energy markets. And I've got Darren Newsom joining us this morning to talk about what all is happening. Darren, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Let's talk about crude oil, West Texas at $80. Have we peaked this market? Good morning, Mike. Yeah, it's um, you know it's tough to say that a peak is in. You know, I know a lot of this has to do with the with the global uh, supply and demand situation, or at least that's what it's attributed to. OPEC at its latest meeting met for like five minutes and said, no, they're going to stick with the uh, the increases that come along in November. But that really doesn't do anything here uh, for us in early fall. I think it was September and October. So kind of leaves us still with tight supply. So, yes, West Texas Intermediate shot up past 80. We've seen uh, the Brent crude market continuing to go up. Naturally, this has pulled uh, both uh, both Arbob gasoline and distillates or diesel higher. But catalyst for all of this has also been natural gas. It has just skyrocketed. But, you know, we have to wonder how long is that? I mean, natural gas is kind of famous for this sort of thing. And there's a you know, talk of a European shortage. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, President Putin of Russia says, oh, that's OK, we'll support we will supply all of Europe's needs with natural gas. And so now the market's taking a pause. If natural gas starts to come down and starts to crumble a little bit, give back some of these gains, it could start to weigh on crude oil as well, because we did get a little bit overextended here, moving up past 80. I don't know that we can hold here this long. There's just no sign that it's topping yet. Darren, I pulled up a, a November crude oil price chart just to take a look. I looked at the five-year span, and it's you know relatively steady in there between seventy and and forty bucks, broadly speaking, over the past five years, with the big exception, of course, in March twenty twenty when we went negative forty. <laughs> and I know you're a technical analyst. When mm. you're looking at a price chart like this, and you've got that spike drop, yeah. how do you take that into consideration? I mean, this is a $120 move in the price of crude oil in 18 months, but is that a real good way to look at it? No, you, you, you almost have to take that out. And, and you know, I have debated that when I show my monthly charts. Uh, yeah, that's, that's an outlier. That's an anomaly. It, it was a weird thing going on in the market. You know, it proved us all wrong. All of us who have said, uh, you can't see, you can't see a futures market go zero. Well, one of the largest, uh, one of the largest futures markets in the world, crude oil went, went below, went below zero. So, uh, you know, so right now I just, I take it out of consideration and I basically look, you know, not only where we closed the month of March, but what was the low in April and what was the low in February and then go from there still with that in mind, you know, this move above 80 over the last year and a half is impressive. And as we look at the forward curve of crude oil, it's still inverted, still showing backwardation for those New York folks. Um, so it's still incredibly bullish fundamentally, again, giving no sign that this market's getting ready to turn around and go down anytime soon. 
Let's go back and talk a little bit about natural gas. We've got a lot of growers firing up their dryers this time of year. We've got a lot of folks getting prepared to fuel their homes for their, their winter heating needs. This price move, Darren, talk to us about what you're seeing on this chart, this natural gas move in the U.S. How how much farther can it run given the, the, the prices, the, the chart that you're looking at? Yeah, it's not called the widow maker for nothing. I mean, it can go, it can still skyrocket higher. And the, the, the issue is we're not really facing a tight supply and demand situation here in the United States. We've got, we've got natural gas. The, the issue is what's going on over in Europe where it did get tight and, you know, we're heading into fall and winter. And so there's, there's a lot of concern. So what we're seeing is the ripple effects of that market. Uh, now, what's interesting from a technical point of view, if we go back to last week's activity in natural gas, take, all, take the title off, take all the talk of fundamentals off, and just look at the chart, natural gas posted a bearish spike reversal. And it was a big one. We saw some big moves last week. Now, what does this mean? This means that the secondary or the intermediate term trend on its weekly chart may have turned down. We may have seen the high, and that sometimes happens when all of the news is as bullish as it can possibly be. That's when a market tends to turn, and we immediately sold off this week. Naturally, again, Mr. Putin came in and, and made his announcements. So now we'll see. If we've topped this natural gas market and it starts to actually come down over the fall and winter, it's possible. It's possible that crude oil could also be nearing its top and start to move lower as well. Interesting. Darren, again, I pulled up a natural gas chart and I tell you what, it looks parabolic going from about middle of the year 2021 up to the top as you're yeah. looking for places where prices could pull down and catch their breath. When you've got a chart shaped like this, that's just a really almost a straight line to the vertical, mm -hmm. where or how do you try to figure out an entry point to buy back in as prices start to slip down? What are you watching for technical signals? As far as technical signals, it's really complicated. It's really difficult in a situation like this. We've seen it in lumber. We've seen it in copper. We've seen it in hogs. If you still have bullish fundamentals, then you can look for, say, a 50% retracement of the previous move to possibly hold. But in the case of natural gas, our fundamental reads are not as reliable because we almost always see a carrier contango in the natural gas market, unlike crude oil, which again is inverted. So, you know, we, we have this different read, uh, you know, in, in lumber, we saw an inverted forward curve. We thought we would see some support coming from a tight supply situation, a bullish supply and demand situation, but it didn't play out that way. We saw lumber give back nearly all of its uh, incredible rally. Could the same thing happen in natural gas? Sure, it could. Hard to imagine going into fall and winter. What I'm going, what we're going to have to look for is some sort of indicator that the trend is changing. And again, we're going to have to go back to our technical reads rather than our fundamental reads, because this would tell us when the funds are going to start getting back in. And it's all about the funds in a market like natural gas. So, you know, we got the signal last week that possibly funds were going to start selling. Now let's see if it backs off, see how long it wants to sell off and then see if they start to give us some signals that they're getting back in it. That's going to have to be our trigger. That's going to have to be our read as far as when to start buying back into this market. Keep an eye out for the funds. That big money can certainly move the marketplace. Darren Newsom from Darren Newsom Analysis, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thanks again for having me on, Mike. And we will be back when we return. Angie Setzer will join us. We'll break down yesterday's WASDE report, and then we'll talk about conservation funding in segment three. So stick with us. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system. The system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. 
Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. These acres you've put your life into. Your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We we, we We are are the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this morning. We're going to take a little time to dig into yesterday's supply and demand estimates from the USDA. They dropped them at 11 o'clock on Tuesday, and it uh, caught the market by surprise, to say the least. To help us understand what all is going on there, Angie Setzer from Consus Grain is going to join us. Angie, how are things looking up in Michigan? Pretty good. Uh, We actually have the sun shining today, which when Kid Rock said that about not seeing the sunshine in so many days, like I I feel that now. It's been raining for about two weeks now. So we're ready to get back into beans and and the sun is is hopefully going to help us do that today. Well, let's talk about soybeans. USDA yesterday reported the soybean yield a little higher than the trade was anticipating, up uh, 74 million bushels in uh, total soybean production. Angie, what's your take on some of the numbers that were released for soybeans yesterday? Yeah, I think a large portion of what was released yesterday had been somewhat factored into the market. I think we all kind of knew based on the early yield estimates that the likelihood of us seeing a yield uptick uh, in yesterday's report was, was pretty good. You know, on top of that, we had seen that significant carry carry out um, stocks level increase in the September 30th report. So we knew that we were going to be flirting with that 300 million bushel sort of carry out projection. I think, you know, from what I'm seeing and from what the conversations have been, you know, amongst folks that, that I've run into, one of the biggest surprises was soybean oil ending stocks, you know, at 1.8 billion pounds. Uh, a lot of folks have really been watching the soybean oil market and and that's what's been driving uh, beans higher. Someone posted earlier a chart of uh, soybean oil, crude oil, and soybeans. And you could definitely see that soybean oil had been falling, uh, following crude oil far more than, than really kind of as a function of a, a product in soybeans. But, you know, the one thing that, that we see there with a, a carryout of that 1.8 billion pounds in, in soybean oil, the last time we saw a level similar to that, you know, the price of soybean oil was around 30 cents a pound, and today we're trading just under 60. And so, 
you know, the question there comes into to play, you know, what are we going to see with renewable diesel? Um, that's really what has been driving the soybean oil market higher and, and some of these other things. And, you know, right now the reality is even with renewable diesel on, on the, the horizon, you know, we're still going to have to struggle through some some more abundant supply. Like, I don't want to say we're burdensome by any means. Like, 300 million is, is kind of a sweet spot to, to be in. Although there is some concern over what Brazil's going to produce, and and you know, if 300 million bushel soybeans mean 12 dollar futures or not. Well, and as of this morning, Angie, you know, January, the January contract is still holding on to $12. Given this new information from the USDA, if, does that seem like a, a great price for growers? To, not, not a great price, of course, given the this summer's history, but a price to yeah. get some sales on the book for that January delivery? It's still a profitable value. You know, honestly, right now, this is the situation that this is the worst place to be in. And I always say that to my growers, like I, I can manage a rallying market relatively well, because you make scale sell, you know, scale sell uh, every little increment to the high side, you sell a little bit more. Uh, The million dollar question, and and I still got scars to show it from, you know, 2008, when the the music stopped that year on the inflation train. and, And you sat here and you thought, oh, well, it's always recovered, so it'll come back, um, you know, and then it, it didn't. And so at this point, the, the conversation that I've been having with the growers that, that I speak to, you know, that, that haven't necessarily done as much as what maybe they should have with their open beans or something of that nature, you know, is to take into consideration where you're at from a point of profitability standpoint. If your yield is, is uh, X amount higher than what you were anticipating, then obviously your total revenue per acre is, is going to be, you know, as good as, as what it would have been potentially if we were at $13 beans and you had a, a more normal historical uh, production level, you know. And so I think it's important to really kind of try to keep things into perspective as well. You know, a, a year ago at this time, a lot of folks were happy to sell 950 off the combine. Now, obviously, knowing now what we, you know, if we'd have known then what we know now, we'd have sat on everything. Um, but at this point, I would say the, the fundamental situation you know, outside of any sort of inflation talk or questions as to what we're going to see with energy going forward, you know, the fundamental situation this year versus last year, you know, is, is about as different as it can get. Um, and so as a grower, I think it's important to be looking at no 22 still and taking a look at, at what you can make happen. If, if you can still sell, you know, above $12 cash beans for old crops, maybe you do sell a a percentage. You, you never want to liquidate everything at one time just simply because it's, it's always a, you know, it, it may be a great idea, but that's just going to be luck, you know, but you do want to be kind of maybe incrementally selling just to, to cover yourself in case this thing does start to, to really slide, uh, you know, a lot harder than what it has already. Now, on the cash side, Angie, I know you work with growers on their cash grain sales across the country. Basis for soybeans, given this uh, this large amount of bean oil that's floating around out there, are, are we still seeing processors drive bids for beans here heading into harvest? Yeah, we've seen some pretty solid bids. I know there's some folks out west that have been talking about how strong basis has been, which honestly, to me, the western bean basis shouldn't come as a surprise. Obviously, the Dakotas struggled with production this year. Everyone has a lot more room, both on farm and, and at elevators, to put both corn and beans away this fall than what we've seen the last few. Um, you know, and I think the PNW picked up a lot of slack when it came to seeing the Gulf down um, because of the hurricane. So Western bean basis has been really strong. We, we've still got our export window open. You know, for the next two, three months, we're still going to see some strong export demand, at least, you know, as, as China kind of utilizes U.S. US beans to, to get them through to the, the South American harvest there. And so, you know, basis is going to stay relatively strong in certain pockets, especially in those areas that saw reduced production, you know, and are a tributary to the, the big export hubs, you know, in the, in the country. Locally here for us, basis has been kind of flat. It, it really hasn't moved. Uh, the processors keep telling us they think that they'll widen it out if things ever get rolling, but the rain has helped us be able to to kind of maneuver through uh, at least the first one-third of harvest here without much in the way of, of logistical hiccups. Uh, deferred values are perking up a little bit, um, but processors right now really aren't uh, tripping over themselves unless it's something that they can put together, buy the beans, sell the meal locally, book the freight, you know, something like that. You're getting some push, but beyond that, we're not seeing anything even 
close to last year's levels, you know, at this point for us in this Eastern Corn Belt, um, you know, specific area. Well, let's take a look over at the corn market, Angie. We did see the USDA printed, I for the first time in quite a while at least, an over 15 billion bushel uh, production number. We raised the yield to 176.5. That seems to be on point with kind of what I'm hearing from my friends across particularly Iowa, Illinois, and Indiana in that uh, kind of the garden spot for this last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I want to ask you as you take a look at this. We did see the uh, the ethanol number stay the same at at uh, five point two million bushels. What what's your does that seem realistic? We we talked to Darren Newsom earlier in the in the show, and uh, he was talking about eighty dollar crude. Angie, that's got to be a profitable place for ethanol to be. Oh heck yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, ethanol margins right now are phenomenal, and that's part of the reason that you're seeing corn basis stay firm, and it will. Um, until we see that reduction in, in, in ethanol margins. I mean, short-term ethanol margins are probably some of the best we've seen for folks out there um, across the industry. There's absolutely zero reason that we should see a slowdown in, in ethanol production at this point in time, based on where we're at from a stocks level and based on where we're at from a margin level. Um, I think 5.2 billion bushel, I mean, we're only a six weeks into the new marketing year, but at this point in time, you know, I think it's a good number. I don't think the USDA necessarily has to increase it just yet, just simply because of the fact that that seems to be about the, the higher level as to what we've seen, you know, from an overall production standpoint. You know, could you see a continuation of crude trading higher and, <laughs> excuse me, potentially keeping ethanol stout? Yeah, um, but I, I don't think yesterday there was any reason, you know, for the USDA to increase that number at this point, just simply because it's so early in the year. That makes sense. Angie, they did raise exports, 25 million bushels. They've got us at two and a half billion now in exports for the upcoming marketing year. And we had another flash sale this morning, more mm -hmm. corn going out the door. Can the exports surpass that number, that 2.5 billion, do you think? It's going to be tough. I mean, yeah, it, again, early in the marketing year, uh, what I'm going to be watching really is going to be export shipment pace more than anything. We saw that last year. I mean, we had a, a whole slew of bushels on the books that ended up not shipping. They got rolled forward to new crops or something of that nature. I mean, China is sitting on a large portion of our unshipped sales, and we haven't really seen much in the way of shipments, you know, go out to them over the last few weeks here. I think we had maybe 5 million bushel a couple weeks ago. And, it, you know, so I think exports are, they're going to have to prove themselves uh, to, to really see a further increase in here just simply because of, of what we've seen from overall global demand. Well, we'll keep watching. Those exports definitely move the market. We certainly appreciate Angie Setzer from Consus taking the time to talk to us. And folks, stick around. When we return, we're talking potential changes to funding coming from USDA. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. The USDA's WASD crop report was bullish for wheat while increasing supplies of corn and soybeans. The USDA pegged the U.S. corn yield at 176.5 bushels per acre. The larger September beginning stocks number combined with the USDA cutting feed by 50 million bushels and increasing exports by 25 million resulted in corn ending stocks of 1.5 billion bushels. On the Board of Trade this morning, December corn trading 5 cents lower, $1.5 
At 5.17 and a half cent, the March contract down five and a fraction at 5.26 and three quarters. For soybeans, the January contract down two and a half cent at 12.07 and a half cent. The March contract down two and a half cent at 12.18. For wheat, Chicago wheat December trading six and a half cent lower at 7.27 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat December down eight and a fraction at 7.31 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December down four at 9.51. The March contract trading three and three quarters of a cent lower at 9.40. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning, but Packer inquiry should improve as the day progresses. Asking prices are around $125 to $126 in the south, but not yet established in the north. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. Live cattle futures on the Board of Trade trading lower. The December contract down 7 cents at 129.17. The February contract trading 15 cents lower at 134.10. Feeder cattle, November trading 45 cents lower at 161.35. January down 50 at 162.27. Lean hogs looking at that April contract trading 27 cents lower at 84.47. The February contract down 17 at 81.07. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 200. And 31 points. The NASDAQ composite up 11. The S&P 500 down 18. The U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, You give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams, and there has been a topic of conversation that has really popped up in agriculture over the past several years. And we're talking climate smart agriculture. This includes carbon sequestration, regenerative ag. There's a whole lot of things that come together under this umbrella of farming to protect or even to enhance the environment. It's certainly gotten a lot of attention from farm groups across the country. Well, now there's a new farm group, and this group has come up with a plan to make sure that farmers are compensated for the work they're doing on the farm. This group is called the Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment, and we are joined this morning today by Elisa Wasserman-Drews. Excuse me, Elisa. She is the executive director, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what they've got planned. Elisa, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about what RIPE is, the Rural Investment to Protect Our Environment. What all is making up your group? We at RIPE are a farmer-led organization that is committed to helping farmers earn a reasonable return through voluntary stewardship practices as part of the climate conversation going on in Washington, D.C., So our farmer-led organization includes members like North Dakota Grain Growers, North Dakota Farmers Union, Minnesota Farmers Union, Iowa Corn, Arkansas Rice, and National Black Farmers Association. So these farm leaders, as well as many others, are getting together and saying, the conversation in Washington, D.C. has been limited to only talking about the carbon sequestration value that farmers provide, while there's a tremendous amount of additional value to water quality, water conservation, soil, air, biodiversity that goes on. 
fairly, you know, that farmers are contributing and it is not fairly compensated. So we're proposing that $100 an acre is a fair return on what farmers are contributing to the public. And that's the level that we would like to see in the, in the federal conversation. So, Elisa, talk to us a little bit about how that $100 would go out to growers. Under your plan, who would get that money and what would they need to do to get the money? Yes, at $100 an acre, farmers would have a simple opportunity, a simple program design. They would pick one practice from a menu of options. So cover crops, no-till, manure management, things that are practical for farmers to do and that are also demonstrating that they're delivering public benefits that are at or surpassing $100 per acre. So we've done the an analysis on the environmental side to show that there's this large number of practices that farmers are doing that they could expand their doing if they were fairly compensated for and so farmers would select their practice that works for them and would enroll. We have our goal is for unlimited enrollment that farmers could enroll as many acres that they would like, as well as animal um, units if they're livestock operators, and that the goal would be for voluntary participation for as much or as little as farmers would like. And so when you're choosing from the menu, if I choose to apply cover crops on my acres and that's the only move I make, I would qualify for that $100? Absolutely. The literature that USDA itself has put together shows that cover crops deliver over $100 in public benefits. So it's about $5 to $20 an acre in carbon, but $50 in water quality, $20 in water conservation, $7 in air quality, $20 in soil health. So that's over $100 per acre that farmers are delivering with cover crops. And that would be why it would be reasonable for a USDA program to offer that level of compensation. That makes sense. At least, you know, one of the things we've heard a lot about again over the past several years are these carbon markets, the idea that farmers can sequester the carbon in their soil using their cropping practices and then sell those credits back onto the marketplace. But a lot of the growers I've spoken with, some of the early adapters who have moved into this space aren't always thrilled with the payout. But would they be able to, let's say we plant cover crops, capture that $100 from uh, from the USDA you know through you guys as well as participate in carbon markets Absolutely. We are designed to be a complement to the private market. And so there is a long list of precedent for USDA programs that allow farmers to participate in private markets as well as the conservation programs through USDA. So we would just be one more um, in that long line of precedent that allows that. The truth is, as you know, and your viewers know, that only 3% of farmers participate in those carbon markets because it's not really that great of a deal, right? There's very few farmers for whom it works out. For those that it does, that's fantastic. And they have the opportunity to participate in both that market as well as this program. But for the 97% of farmers for whom it is not enough of a compensation at that $5 to $20 an acre level, when you think about the cost of the practice, such as cover crops, which is $27 to $37 an acre, it makes sense why most farmers are choosing not to participate in that and why there needs to be an additional USDA program that rewards the fuller value for what farmers are delivering. Now, Elisa, $100 an acre, that, that's a big number when we're looking at direct payments and coming from the USDA, of course, especially after all of uh, you know the Trump administration's payouts using the, the CCC and other USDA practices. Do you think there's an appetite for this program in Washington, D.C.? Do, do you think this could actually get funded? Great question. So we're committed to talking about the climate policy conversations and not about taking funds from existing programs, because as you're pointing out, there already is a lot of competition and need for the real, really valuable programs that USDA already provides. And so when we talk about the climate policy space, the Democrats are talking in the range of $500 billion a year. That is what Biden, President Biden has put out in terms of a national spending on climate. So what we're proposing, if allowing all farmers to participate, would be 8% of that goal. So when you think about the political appetite in Washington, D.C., on the Democratic side, it's really high in terms of where they're looking to um, be spending money. And um, for some folks, you know, clean energy industry is lining up and saying, great, we're ready to go and use this money and contribute public value. And we're saying that farmers should have a similar opportunity to say we're contributing value to the climate benefits as well as to water quality, soil health, and all these other tremendous public benefits. And simply, we haven't had the opportunity to contribute and be fairly rewarded.
You know, one of the things, one of the concerns, I guess I should say, I've heard from some some growers over the past couple of years when we're looking at this kind of climate smart agriculture is the, the certification. Uh, there's, with some of these programs that are out there already, a number of the private ones, there are very sticky rules and there's a lot of, of needles to thread in order to actually get the money. How would your program, how would the RIPE plan work mm -hmm. to a verify that the uh, conservation practices are being completed and that the farmers are doing what they've said they'll do in upholding their agreement. We, we believe that a simple enrollment and verification program is absolutely necessary and critical and very well warranted. Congressional Budget Office has done analysis of existing USDA programs that farmers participate in and have found that they're really well run and that there isn't a problem with farmers really uh, overstating or having any problems. So the, the system that USDA currently uses where farmers self-certify and say, this is the practice I've done, they can submit some paperwork to show it, and then there's an audit function at about 5% of, of participants get audited, that has shown to be really effective as a public program that has demonstrated real public benefits. So we think similarly, that should be the level um, that we're talking about for this type of program. The private carbon market has a much more stringent verification requirement that they need because of the system that they have designed, but it's not necessary for a public program to really go into that really expensive verification program. We do have um, a, a pretty thoughtful proposal on how to address this greenhouse gas additionality issue for stakeholders who are looking for a more precise quantification of the greenhouse gas value. So we're proposing, and it's on our website, riperoadmap.org, that we have the overwhelming majority of farmers participate in this very simple enrollment program where you say, this is the practice that I'm picking from the menu of options, and here is my paperwork that shows that you know I bought that cover crop. And then we also would have a subsample of participants who would be um, tested on a soil sampling level that USDA would pay for, that they would go out and take a small minority of farmers to do that so that we could then extrapolate and say on a whole, this is the level of benefits that the program is providing. That makes sense. Now, I, I want to come back to the funding again, because, of course, when we're talking about Washington, D.C., we're talking about a place that has uh, has certainly seen a rise in partisanship over the past several years. And I'm curious about how long term this plan could be. As you're talking to folks in Washington, D.C., policymakers at USDA, if this plan were implemented, could it be, I guess, what would it take to have this money being doled out every year? Absolutely. So the climate policy space is really a very long-term economic policy, right? It's fun fundamentally talking about changing the way that our economy operates. And so it is a very long-term policy, and this would be part of that. So we're talking about annual payments that would be tied to a long-term play and not a near-term, short-term um, once and done. That doesn't make sense. The costs that farmers will bear from climate policy on increased fertilizer costs, increased fuels, that will be a long-term uh, cost. And our policy is explicitly designed to cover those costs fully and provide the full cost of the practice compensated as well as a reasonable return above that. And those are the core tenets of our policy principles that are built in that would have to be part of the long-term policy so that the coalition between farmers and environmentalists that this policy would seek to bring together would continue to say every year, you know, let's look at this and make sure that farmers are protecting themselves from these increased costs and are contributing tremendous public value, that the public is getting a good deal and that farmers are getting a good deal. Indeed. And Elisa, you are, you can be found and more information can be found, as you mentioned, on the website at riperoadmap.org. Really appreciate you for taking the time to talk to us about this plan and good luck getting it through Washington, D.C. Thanks, Mike. Well, folks, when we return, we'll be going out to Ohio talking to farmer Dave Green about how that eastern Corn Belt harvest is progressing. Stay with us on AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92 and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100. 
and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. When it comes to maintaining your equipment, look to FS for products you need to keep it running efficiently and smoothly. If your equipment is newer and requires diesel exhaust fluid, FS and many local fast stop locations have it in convenient jugs or in bulk. If you need dispensing equipment for your shop or garage, our knowledgeable energy specialists can help with that too. FS, the people and the products to take you further. Go further with FS. Visit GoFurtherWithFS.com for more information. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable, now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in today for Mike Adams, and it's time to talk harvest. I know a lot of folks in the Western Corn Belt today and the next few days might be putting those combines in the shed as that heavy rain system moves across. So we're going to go look at the Eastern Corn Belt. Dave Green is a farmer and precision ag equipment sales guy over in Ohio, New Washington, Ohio, to be specific. Dave, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Hey, Mike, how are we doing today? Not too bad, sir. How is harvest progressing over in your part of central Ohio? Harvest is happening. Um, a lot of beans been coming off. Went through a little bit of a wet spell there. Third seeing combine switching on over and shelling some corn, but I we've gotten a stretch of weather here. We're getting back in. There's going to be some guys probably finishing beans up here, trying to push ahead of that same rain you were talking about. Well, Dave, how are those bean yields looking? What have you heard? Um, hearing some good numbers, and then you'll find these pockets that may be a little disappointing when you hear what's going on at your neighbor's place. So some variability, but uh, but uh, no, hearing, hearing some good numbers out there. How about on the corn side? Dave, I've heard in the eastern corn belt there's a lot of concern with tar spot as the season came to a close. Have you seen that in any of your fields or, or your neighbor's? Tar Tar, tar spot is, a, is an issue out there. Um, definitely uh, the, uh, the fungicide um, is going to, I think, pay for itself this year. And it, it is showing up in some of those fields that didn't get it or maybe an early application of fungicide. That tar spot just moved in late, and uh, it is having some effect. And it's almost you can follow the moisture. The drier the corn, the more tar spot you had, a little less yield you're seeing. Is standability then getting to be a concern for some of those folks on their corn crop? I What, what I'm seeing is, is some of the standability comes back to uh, some of those hybrids. You know, you, you start chasing some of those racehorse and you might start seeing a little bit of that standability issues. Some of your workhorses uh, um, tend to, you know, those are the ones that typically tend to stand better. So I think you're going to be able to pick through some hybrids this year and see some differences. Yeah, yeah, you're like this definitely highlights the differences between the, the different hybrids, that's for sure. Dave, let's talk basis. As those beans are coming out of the ground, is, uh, is bean basis hanging in there okay in your part of the state? Yeah, basis hasn't moved a whole lot on beans. Um, it's been fairly stable. I've seen corn uh, narrow a little bit. Um, I, I, I think it's still too early to say if that's really indicative of anything, but... Uh, um, have seen, haven't seen, I guess, haven't seen bases fall off the mark so far. So take that as a positive. Yeah. On the corn side, Dave, for our listeners out here in the Western Corn Belt or the Great Plains, what is the market for, for the corn crop coming off the combine there in central Ohio? Are you guys primarily going to ethanol plants? Are you seeing uh, livestock as the end user? What's your market yeah. look like? Yeah. Um, up in the uh, north end of the state here, uh, or, you know, north central, um, ethanol is a big driver. Poet has a couple plants, and it, it's definitely a big driver. We also have a couple uh, large hog integrators, and uh, between those two and, and some chickens, between those two, three guys, it, they kind of set set the market. So that's uh, we're very fortunate, very fortunate to have a, have a very good uh, end user market around here. Yeah, yeah, that is true. But you know, one of the challenges I've heard, well country to be honest is is trucking shortages man it's tough just to get the grain from you know an elevator to an end user have you been hearing i know you talk to a lot of farmers as you're out there you know marketing precision ag products have you heard that be a challenge in your part of the world haven't heard it terribly i i think a lot of our elevators have, have really invested heavily into some of the rail system um there there's quite a few uh rail system set up we send a lot of corn down south um send it east east and south and some of those more corn deficient kind of areas so not and not a ton of corn leaves some of those uh, smaller country elevators on trucks but there still is some of that out there but it, you know like pressure in the entire ag industry i mean it's not just trucking shortages you know the equipment shortages and you know just getting i i was working on my own combine and i thought well maybe i should put some snapping rolls on that unavailable from shoots Tom, they don't know when they're going to come in so it's just it, it's touching everything 
It, it really is. It's touching everything for harvest this year. And I mean, already looking ahead to planting time next year, there's concerns about shortages. Dave, in your neck of the woods, is there a lot of flexibility on rotations or, or are most growers corn beans, corn beans where you're at? You know, every time this conversation comes up, you know, that's always the big talk. You know, will you see that shift in acres? At, at the end of the day, I, I think in Ohio, things are pretty steep. You might, you know, there might be something that, well, we'll just leave it. We'll, we'll go beans back to beans. But in general, the rotation sticks with what the plan is. There isn't a ton of, you know, we, we've seen wheat acres kind of stabilize. Um, those that grow wheat, either for manure application um, or maybe, you know, some expected drainage projects, those acres are pretty consistent. And, and I expect to see that, you know, pretty consistent on the corn and bean side acres for next year, too. All right. That's going to be something to keep an eye on, Dave. As you're looking ahead to next year, to these supply chain challenges, have you rethinking any parts of your operation? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I have I have done lots of thinking and and uh, I, at the end of the day you know I, the the anhydrous concerns me a little bit um, just because in, in my part of the world we don't do any fall application um, so you know you're, you're making you're trying to make those decisions right now do I switch to the 28 get it in while I can get it will the anhydrous be there um, you know so I, I think there is some concern from from that inside you know. I think some of the price increases we saw with P and K have have hit, come back a little bit. Where did they end up? Who knows? But you know, kind of like lumber. You know, we saw the peak after everybody kind of got over that initial panic. Things kind of the market worked itself out. I guess I still believe in supply and demand, and I think you will see some guys shorten some fertilizer this year just to you know try to save some money. But there's still you know there's a lot of good agronomy out there that you know, they're going to put fertilizer down. Yes, I think you're right. When we see prices where they're at, we're going to see growers make those investments. Dave, we wish you the best of luck as harvest continues. Stay safe out there. All right. And folks, thanks so much for tuning in to AOA today. Mike Adams will be back in the seat tomorrow. We encourage you to tune in at the same time right here on your favorite station. Thanks for listening to AOA. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners.